I tell you, it has been fantastic today, amen? It's almost one of those you could just stop right now and say you've had church. But you're not that lucky, so we're going to go on for a little bit. No, it, it's a good thing. I hope, um, you know, I hope this has been a good week for everyone. I hope that this past week has been insightful. Uh, you know, we talked last week about uh, kind of paying attention to the things we say, the things we do. Uh, I'm not going to ask for any, any testimonies or anything, but, you know, hopefully maybe you guys noticed something. It was like, oh, hey, yeah, this was what we talked about last week. Um, you know, I know that my uh, kids are pretty good about catching dad and reminding him, uh, you know, hey, dad, you know, you said that. You shouldn't say that. That's not what God's word says. So my kids are good reminders for me. Uh, and, you know, that's such a joy. That it's such a joy to hear when your kids tell you something out of Scripture. Because that, to me, that tells me, hey, they're paying attention, they're getting it. And oh, I'm so glad for that. That, that is just such a blessing, such a wonderful thing. We're going to look today a little bit at some things we looked at last week. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into some of it. Uh, and we are going to look at not necessarily the, the topic of unanswered prayers, because that one gets into a lot more than, than I've got time for in one lesson up here this morning. Um, but we are going to kind of touch upon prayers, ineffective, effective, and kind of look at some different things. Uh, and before I get into any of this, I want to make sure that I stress up front um, that this is not a sermon where if a prayer hasn't been answered or if you're still in that process of waiting, uh, you know, where this person is saying, well, you're not having faith or, well, you're not doing, that is not what today is about um, because we're not going there. But we are going to look at something that I think we need to be reminded of as Christians because there are times when we're waiting for God, and that's exactly what we're doing, we're waiting. It can be many different things. Maybe it's a growth process. It could be different for everybody. But I have found it to be true in my own walk, and maybe you have as well, that sometimes it's not so much that we're waiting on God as it is that God's waiting on us. And so with that thought in mind, we're going to look at something today. So the title of this message is Restricted Area. And, and I came up with this, well, I won't say I came up with this title. I was praying about it, and this is what God impressed upon me. I'll take no credit for it. Uh, we'll give credit to Brad for the, for the graphics. Uh, he does a great job with this. So uh, he sends these to me, and I was very, very pleased when I saw this. I loved it. Because when we think of a restricted area, a lot of things may come into our mind. We may think of like a nuclear facility Maybe you think of a military base. Maybe you think of a factory where there's places, you know, where you're not supposed to go because it's dangerous. Whatever thought may be coming to mind, though, there's a common theme with a restricted area. It means it's someplace you don't need to go for whatever reason. But it's someplace you don't need to be. And just as there are restricted areas in the world, there are restricted areas for us in the spiritual realm as well. And we're just going to look at three today, uh, but I think that there are three that can have immediate and sometimes perhaps eternal consequences for us. And the first one of those is unbelief. Now we're going to start off in Luke chapter 11 and verse 5, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, you can log in or start flipping. Uh, I can remember as a kid we used to do Bible drill, and I always loved it because this was back before, you know, handheld devices and all that, so we'd all be there and the teacher would name out something, and you could hear those little onion skin pages. You know, everybody's trying to flip through and find it. And so we're going to do that some today. If you've heard me preach before, you know, one scripture is never enough. I usually have probably a hundred in here. So we're going to be getting some Bible drill time in. 
But we're going to start in Luke chapter 11. And this is in starting in verse 5 through verse 12. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now I want to just stop right there for a minute and kind of picture this in your head. It's midnight, you're asleep, and someone comes and knocks on your door who at this point you're thinking used to be a friend. <laughs> because all right, it's the middle of the night. And what are they waking you up for? Hey, I got a buddy of mine that came over and I need some food. Really? You got to be kidding. I'm in bed. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, you just kind of picture this situation, right? And it's comical. But I love what it says here. You're not going to get up and give it to him because he's your friend. But because he was so bold that he went outside of convention, he went outside of social accepted, socially accepted practices, came to your house in the middle of the night and said, give me that. You're going to do it because of that reason, not because he's your friend, but because this guy, bold as brass, just walked up, woke you and half your house up in the middle of the night and said, give me something for this other guy that just dropped in. That's why you're going to do it. And then look at the very next thing it says. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now remember I said last week, if God thinks it's important enough to repeat something in Scripture, we might ought to pay a special attention to it. You'll find this same passage about asking, seeking, and knocking in Matthew 7, 7. So this same concept is being repeated here in the Gospels. And the one thing that's key out of this, though, you know, we think about the guy who's, who's given the stuff, right? He's the guy that got woke up. But really in this story, we're the guy who came with the impudence and knocked on the house. And what did he have that maybe other people didn't have? Because most people in this situation, a guy drops by in the middle of the night, they might have said, well, you know, you're welcome to stay. Unfortunately, I don't have anything. I don't have nothing for you. I'm sorry. I can't give you any food. And, you know, back in Bible times, it's not like they could come cruising through on their, their camel in the middle of the night, pop in at a Chick-fil-A, get something, and then swing by. You know, they didn't have anything. If they didn't bring it, they didn't have it. Markets are closed. Sun goes down. The sidewalks roll up, you know, and that's it. So you're hoping that the guy's house you're dropping in on, that he's got something to eat because you're hungry. You've been on the road a long time. And this is the middle of the night. So you can imagine he's probably traveled a long distance. So he comes in, he says, hey, I've got a need that I need met. I'm hungry. Most people might have said, well, you know, I'm sorry. In the morning, we'll go get something. But this guy says, okay, no problem. I'm going to go out in the middle of the night. I know a guy. And I'm going to pound on his door and I'm going to get something. He went out with faith. You see that? Because he went out boldly saying, I'm going to go to this guy's house and I'm going to get what I need. He's asking in faith. He's going in faith expecting. And he's not asking like, hey, look, I know it's late. I'm sorry. You know, I hate to bother you, but this guy came by. He's not making excuses. He's not asking, you know, all, all pitiful. He's coming up bold as brass. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, 
Yo, wake up in there. I need something. He's coming up with that kind of an attitude. That's faith. When you know you're going to get it before you've even gotten it, before he's even talked to the guy, he knows he's going to get what he's asking. And in the passage of Scripture here, God's telling us, look, I tell you, ask and it'll be given to you. But he's asking in faith, right? He's seeking in faith. He's saying knock in faith, action, right? Let's take another look at another passage here, Matthew 21. This is verses 21 through 22. It says, And Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you. And I love that phrase, truly I say to you. It's kind of a, kind of a Bible way of saying, look, this is the truth. Pay close attention. Okay, I'm telling it to you straight. If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now let's kind of break this down a minute. Look at what's going on here. The first thing he says, if you have faith and do not doubt. Now what that means is you can only have confidence in something if you know that you know. You've probably heard that phrase before, you know that you know that you know. And usually it's talking about salvation, right? When we accept Christ into our heart, we know that we know that we know that we're saved. There's no doubt about it. We know it's good. But this is saying, if you have faith and do not doubt, so you have to have that confidence first. And then it goes on to say, but even if you say to this mountain, now let's look at that phrase because that's an easy one to gloss over. We're just reading along. If you say, who's speaking? You, right? This is not saying, if you ask God, if you spend a lot of time you know, meditating on the problem. It says, if you say. And it's important to look at that phrase because that's not prayer. Now, why is it not prayer? Because prayer is us talking to God. And in this passage of Scripture, it's saying, if you say to this mountain, this is you speaking to the problem. And God is never the problem. <laughs> you see? So if God's not the problem, we're speaking to the problem. He tells us to speak to it. And then what does he say is going to happen? He says, it will happen. You tell it to get up and go. It has to go. Why? Because we're commanded to follow the example of Jesus, right? Who only did the things he saw his father do. Well, for us, that means we do what God's word says. And if we say about our situations what God's word says about our situation, right? Now we're speaking to our mountain with the authority that God has given us as believers in Scripture. It's not, what do you just want off the top of your head? What do you want to, to do today? You know, it's not saying I command a Ferrari to pop into my driveway. This is an honest-to-goodness problem. This is a mountain in your area that you need moved. And it could be something small. It, it could be an annoying neighbor that you're trying to figure out a way to walk in love with so you can tell them not to do something that annoys you. It could be something serious. But in all cases, whatever mountain you have, this is the pattern. He says, you speak to it. And here's what you can expect. But we have to be speaking God's words. And as I was thinking about this, the thought crossed my mind. When we speak about our situations, if we're not speaking God's words, whose words are we speaking? You know, there's, there's only so many places there's so many choices right 
It's not God 50 channels in between and then the enemy. Remember we looked at it last week, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And that word abundance means the peace is left over, right? So the words that come out of our mouth in a situation, as Pastor Jeff says, when our cup gets kicked, the stuff that comes out is what was already there. So if when a bad situation happens, if the first things out of your mouth is doom, gloom, terrible, this is awful, you're still exercising faith in that situation, but what you're exercising faith in is you're exercising faith in your enemy. You've automatically elevated the problem above the answer. And it's easy to do, and we all do it. This is part of that growth process where God has to grow us in that trust. You walk in God, you learn to trust Him in situations. But it isn't just that we pray and then step back and take our hands off of it and wait for God to do something. He says right here, if you say to the mountain. See, God never called us to be bench warmers as Christians. When we get saved, it's like we join the team and God wants to put us in on the first string. He wants us in the game. He wants us out there doing. He's already written all the plays down in the book. And if you've ever played sports or been around sports, as the field starts to shift and change, what does the coach do? The coach calls out a play. He tells his quarterback or something, you know, hey, run this play. And the team runs it, and then they're successful if they execute it properly, right? God's given us his playbook. Jesus is our quarterback, right? We just have to go out and execute the plays as he's given them to us to do. And when we say God's words, when we walk in this kind of faith, what, what do we see? Look in John 14, 12 through 14. Now, we could just stop, honestly, and stay in Matthew all day because there's enough there to look at, to wrap our head around, to keep us there all day. But let's go on just a little bit farther. John 14, starting in verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you. So we've got a double truly. So this one's really, pay attention to this. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now let's just stop and think about that one for a minute. What are some of the works that we saw Jesus do? And he just said, whoever believes in me. Well, that's talking to us, right? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, this verse of Scripture now applies directly to each of us. You will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now that word anything, we need to take a moment and, and just examine that because that is not a license to go out and ask for something crazy. And there are plenty of people out there teaching some crazy doctrine with that passage of Scripture. And so we're not looking at that, okay? We're not saying, you can go out and ask for anything. That means you want a million dollars, go ask for it. You want to live in a big mansion on a hill, go right ahead. Now it's not wrong as believers for us to have money. It's not wrong for us to have nice things. Nothing wrong with that. But we have to look at the intentions. If the intention is, I want lots of money and lots of big fancy things so I'm not bothered by people and I can just kick back and everybody can look at how great I am, that's probably not going to be an answered prayer for you. Okay, <laughs> That's not the right motivation. But if you really have a desire in your heart that says, you know, God, I really, you know, I really want to bless this ministry. I really want to be part of this. What's something I can do? You know, God may open doors. 
Money may come in, you can turn around and use it to bless other people. Whatever he lays on your heart. But it can't be from selfish motives. That's the main thing. With that, you can ask me anything. It can't be selfish. Because remember, we're going back and looking at the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do? How did he do it? Why did he do it? We go a little further in John, starting in 15, verse 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Boy, hasn't that a revelatory statement? Have you ever had times in your life where you have just walked along and you feel like you are beating your head up against a wall and you're getting nowhere? I've done that. Uh, there have been things that, that God and I have gone round and round about, and, and it's been years in some cases before I finally said, okay, clearly I'm not doing this right. What do I need to change? <laughs> and then he finally gets through to him, and he says, do it this way, and it starts to work. You know, wow, amazing. Listen to God, and it works. You would think we would pick up on that faster sometimes. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, so now we see that that anything has qualifications. This isn't just a license to ask for whatever you want. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now that word abide, that's one if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard it a lot, but it may not be one you use in common conversation. I mean, let's be honest, show of hands. How many of you this week in a conversation with anybody use the word abide? Make sure I don't miss anybody. Me neither. Okay, it's not a common phrase that we use. So what does it mean? It means to stay in a given place, a given state, a given relation, or, and I love this, to stay in a given place of expectancy. Oh, that's good. And just let that one sink in for a minute. What do we say here? Did you come expecting? Why do we say that? Because right here, if we abide in him and his words abide in us, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what are you expecting from God? We all have things maybe that we're waiting on, things that we're expecting, things we would love to see happen. Expectation, though. Okay, we need to, to look at this because this is twofold. Expectancy on one hand is hope. And remember there's three, and there's faith, hope, and love. Three separate things. Expectancy, because it has to do partly with the future, it means it's a hope. So you're waiting in a state of hope that it's going to be fulfilled. But it also has a dual meaning here, because it's not just a future hope. Expectancy is also a now. Because you're abiding in a given state, a given relation, in the present, expecting God to fulfill a promise that he's given. But you can't wait for something unless you know that you have it, right? And that's where faith comes in. Because what does it say about faith? It's evidence of things not seen, right? Hebrews 11 tells us that. It's substance of things hoped for. You could say it's substance of things you're expecting. You can't expect anything from God without first having faith that it's yours. And the faith is only going to come from God's Word, right? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by what? The Word of God. So if we're going to avoid 
unbelief, we have to change that into belief. We have to find out why we can expect what we should expect, why we can expect God to do it. And how we get that faith is spending time in God's Word to see it. John 16, we go a little further down in verse 24. It says, ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. And that concept of be full, I love this. This is something I never thought I would see in a concordance. And I was so happy when I saw this because it was just, it just made my day. That phrase, be full, literally means to cram. That's straight out of the concordance, to cram. You've got it so full, you can't get anything else in there. So that means that your joy, he wants you to receive to the point that you couldn't possibly have any more joy in your life because you've received something from God. But then sometimes it seems like maybe we ask and we don't receive, we, we, we don't get. And this is where I wanted to start off with that caveat because sometimes when we don't get an answered prayer, it doesn't necessarily mean we've messed anything up. Okay, That's not what I'm trying to say with this. But sometimes we can be off track. And James talks about that in chapter 4. Starting in verse 2 and 3, it says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now that would be a good example of maybe someone, and I know it's a ridiculous example, but maybe someone who wants a Ferrari really bad. i got to have a Ferrari to witness for God. Well, you're probably not asking with the right reasons in mind, okay? So one thing that I have done for me, and I'll only use myself in this example because, again, I, this is not a, you know, somebody's done something wrong kind of thing, but with my own personal growth, I have had issues where I have gone back and I have said, God, this is what you said in your word. I'm not seeing this fulfilled. I've been waiting a very long time. Uh, you know, something's not right here. And it may take a while, but hopefully you get to a point where you come to him with that attitude and you're teachable. Because I, I spent a long time not being teachable. Uh, I think my wife has said that I'm the most stubborn person on the planet, and she's probably not far wrong. <laughs> but God has to get through to us. And when we come to him at that point that says, okay, God, where did I miss it? He's always faithful to show me. And sometimes it may be that, you know, hey, you were asking for this, and this is not what I had for you because of this. That word wrongly there, when it says you ask wrongly, it literally means evil words. It means to ask improperly. It's what the, the literal translation of that would mean. So you don't have because you ask improperly with evil words, not, not words that, you know, God, I, I want this to glorify you, or, or this would help me to, to do something for you. It, it's just, it's, it's selfish, basically. But if we know that God has promised us something in His Word, and we found that promise in Scripture, we can ask Him in faith and we can expect, we have that expectancy because we've got it in here. One easy way to think about this, picture for a minute that God's Word is a contract because this is a concept we're all familiar with. And let's say you live at a place, uh, maybe an apartment, or you've got some kind of a contract through a landowner, something like that. In that contract, for whatever it may be, is going to be a list of things that say, these are rights that you have, this is what you can expect me to do for both parties. And if there's ever any question, you go back to your contract and you say, right here in your contract, this is what you said. 
And if it says that, you can expect the other party, there's an obligation that they have to do it because they said they would and they put it in writing, right? Well, with God's word, it's the same thing. And that doesn't mean that we come up and we, we make demands and we say, God, you have to do it on my timetable right now. No. But it does mean that we can go to him with that same importunity, right? That's the old King James, that same impudence. We can go boldly before the throne and we can say, God, in your word, you've promised me this. I know you're going to be faithful and I receive this, whatever it is. Because that's faith. At that point, you're saying, I'm going to act like I've already got it. See, James chapter 1, verse 6 says, Let him ask in faith, what? With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. That double-minded literally means two-spirited. It means your spirit is torn between God and the world. You haven't come together to a place where you're focused on God yet. And all his ways, that, that word ways, literally the, the translation is a road with the indication of a journey or a path, right? We walk a road in life. You've heard people say that. So it's saying the person who's two-spirited, who's unconstant, they're walking a way that, that doesn't lead to anywhere where God wants you to be. So that would be what? It would be like a restricted area for us as Christians. That's unbelief. We don't want to be there. And so in our prayer life, when we see we don't receive answers and we think, well, you know, I'm waiting on God, maybe God's waiting on us. Because sometimes I have found myself doing this, that when I talk about things, I'm like, God, I'm praying for this. I'm expecting this. I know you said in your word you're going to do this. And right there's where I missed it. And you're like, where? That sounded, that sounded fine. I put it in the future. God, I know you're going to do this. That's not faith. That's hope. Because hope is always future tense. And it doesn't say, let him ask in hope. It says, let him ask in faith. Back to Hebrews, what does it say? Faith is substance. It's physical substance of things that are hoped for. It's evidence, it's proof that you have something right now that you cannot see. That's why last week we were saying, if you're in a situation right now, whatever it may be, if it's lack, if it's health, you know, whatever mountain may be in front of you right now, you cannot confess your mountain. When people ask you about it, you can't say, well, yes, I'm, I'm still suffering through this, or yes, this is all terrible, this is what... Now, I'm not saying you don't talk about your problems. It's not denial. You talk about it, that's fine. But talk about it in the standpoint of, well, maybe this is what the doctor has said, but this is what God says. Or this is what the bank has said, but this is what God says. That, that's one I can, can give you a good, uh, just a brief example. I won't take up too much time on this. But we talked about this briefly in Sunday school this morning. Uh, but my wife and I have spent, oh goodness, probably several years, I don't know, maybe 10 years or more now. Yeah, probably at least 10 years. Um, that we had all kinds of just debt issues. And it wasn't from bad choices in the sense that I wasn't out, you know, buying stuff we couldn't afford on credit cards and racking up debt. It wasn't anything like that. Uh, you know, and if, if maybe one of you have done that, that's not a bad thing. It's not like that makes you worse, but that just wasn't our case. But we had a lot of issues that came up. You know, I lost a job twice. Um, 
you know, there, there was, we, we moved up here and I had a house on the market that didn't sell for over two years. So we're paying a mortgage there, paying up here. Um, you know, some jobs I've had, they just didn't quite pay enough. And until something else came around, bills start to rack up. And in the midst of all that, there was issues with the insurance. So the two of our children, when they were born, we paid the entire bill out of pocket. And kids are expensive when they're born, you know. <laughs> and, and all the parents are going, amen. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we literally had thousands of dollars in debt that was hanging over us. There was a period of time it was not unusual that we might be two, three months behind on some things. And it was everything. And the stuff we were trying to get caught up on was basically just to keep gas and groceries in the car on the table so I could get to work. And you know, I'll tell you, going through that, if you think there's not times where you get mad and you, you say some things to God, <laughs> uh, you know, because I did. Um, and I got mad, and I'm looking at these scriptures, and I'm saying, God, you said you're meeting my needs. You know, they just turned off my electricity. I'm, I'm about to lose my house. I've got kids to provide for. I don't see you meeting anything here. And I did. I said that. And the great thing about God is when you feel that way, it's okay to tell him that because he knows it anyway. <laughs> this, it is not going to be a surprise. I promise you, when you pray this prayer, number one, you're not going to get you know, the electric smite from God because if it was, I would have already had it happen. <laughs> I'm still here, okay? I'm a testament of God's grace and patience uh, because I know I've certainly tried his patience on more than one occasion. But God is faithful. And he'll grow us through those times. And I have gone to God and I've said, God, I, I just don't see it. You're not doing it. I even went so far one time, and I say this to my shame, not to my credit, but I went so far one time that I said, God, if you're not going to fulfill this word, then why do I need you anyway? I did. I was not in a good spot. I take my responsibilities as a husband and a father very seriously, and when you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you are failing on every possible front, working every possible hour of the day and still getting further behind every day than the day before, you get frustrated. You know, it gets tough. But through it all, God is faithful. And what he showed me, for me, was we looked at scriptures about tithing, and we tithed through all this because I knew enough, and I kept enough faith in God that it's like if I don't tithe, I'm never going to get ahead. Because that much it says in Malachi, it says, do this, I'll open the floodgates of heaven. Well, I've got to tell you, I felt like I was waiting forever on those gates to open up. But I still did it. I said, I'm still going to do what you said to do. I'm going to trust you and do this. And when I finally got to that point in my desperation, and I said, God, I just I can't do anything else. I've got nothing left to give. You've got to show me something here. That's when he showed me, because if you go back and you look at those passages, and, and this wasn't in my notes, we're kind of going off in the weeds a little here, but what he showed me with that was, it says not to give with expectation. Like, you don't give to get something, right? And, and you know, I kind of remember as a kid, my parents taught me that. It's like, well, don't give a gift to somebody just so you'll get a gift back. You know, don't do that. It's the wrong motivation for giving. What's well, the same with God. I was given tithe because I was saying, God, I know if I don't do this, I can't expect nothing, and I need something, so here's this, now give me something. And he says, it doesn't work that way. You've got to give this joyfully. Now, I've got to tell you, that ain't easy to do. When you're flat broke, and he says, you need to be happy about giving this. <laughs> well, that took Keith a while to come around to that, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. But I knew he was right. And so I repented of that, and I said, God, I'm sorry. 
You know, when we find we're off track, that's the first thing we have to do. God, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you're surprised, but hey, I blew it again. You know, he's not surprised. He loves us. And he brings us back and he says, it's okay. Here's where you got off track. Let's just get you back on here. And so he put me back on track. And as we started going through this process, what I would notice is, you know, hey, we're still tithing, but now things are starting to get paid a little bit. Things are only a month behind. It, it's starting to get caught up. And the great thing of it is, if you've ever been through this, you know, you can't explain it. It wasn't that I was working any more hours. I wasn't getting paid anymore. But it just somehow worked every month. And then he laid it on my heart. He said, look, I want you to start giving offerings. Because that's different from tithe, right? You've got tithes and offerings, two separate things. The offering is the part that goes above the tithe. So we're still not exactly out of the woods. And he says, now I want you to give offerings. Okay. Here we go again. Because now I'm starting back with that. And I bet I've got to do it joyfully, right? Yes, you do. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. You know, and you start to kind of give this a little bit. And I remember it was so funny. I asked him, I said, okay, where do you want me to sow into? What, what do you want me to, to sow into as an offering? And he said, there's this ministry I want you to start sowing into. And I said, okay. It's one I had followed for years, still following. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start sowing into that. And I think it was something like $5 was the first gift I gave. And it was, I think it was like a month is what I had set aside to do. And I remember thinking at the time, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I mean, that's how bad it really was. $5, that's how bad it was. And I'm going, I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but okay, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in this. And so we started doing that. And then you know, I noticed things started getting a little bit better. And it's like, well, okay, God, you want me to keep doing this? He's like, well, bump it up a little bit. Let's make it 10. Because 10 was a good stretch of my faith at that point. It's like, oh, okay, well, we're going to go to 10. All right, I think we can do this, you know. And you take that next little baby step of faith. It went on for a few years we did this. To eventually now where we're, we're given more, I think there's like three different ministries God's blessed us to be able to support right now that we're helping out with. That There's money left over every month. Most of the debt is gone. Uh, you know, thank God nothing's been put on a credit card now in probably eight, nine years. We, we got rid of those things first thing. And God's seen us through that. And sometimes it's been almost to the last minute down to the wire. I was sharing this morning in Sunday school, there's, there was weeks where we needed like three or $400 to pay the rent, you know, to keep something, a bill paid or something, you know, that just had to be done that month. And it would be the week of. I mean, we had like two or three days till it was due. And someone would call up and be like, hey, hey Keith, I remember you used to paint. Do you still do any of that? I've got a room that needs done over here if you've got time. I've got time. <laughs> I have time. I'll come right now. It, it's fine. I've got time. And then I wouldn't, you know, I would just be like, yeah, pay me what you think it's worth or whatever. And we would do it, and sure enough, I mean, to the penny. Boom, great, turn around, pay that bill is paid. Yeah, that's not stuff I could have planned had I tried. But because I was crazy enough to trust God, that was one of the things he did for me. And through this whole process, we did this in this passage of Scripture because I was looking at debt. Debt was my mountain at that point. And so I did. I spoke to it on a regular basis. In prayer, when my wife and I, we prayed about it and we talked about it, we did. And I don't my kids may have thought I was crazy or whatever, but I showed them, look, this is what God's Word says to do. And I'm speaking to it because here's what God has already promised me about the situation. God has said my needs are met. 
God has said he's taking care of this. If he cares about the sparrows, he cares about me. God is faithful. I'm going through all these scriptures. I got, we got scriptures up all over our house. If, if you ever came over, we got stuff tacked to the cabinets in the kitchen. I mean, you walk through and there's scriptures hanging everywhere. Because I think it's important that we say these. If you look at the way God does things, I mean, he was speaking from the beginning. He spoke the world into existence. He's automatically set precedent. And he tells us, you speak to your mountain. But that doesn't mean you just tell it anything you want off the top of your head. You have to do it the way Jesus did it. You say the things that God says. Because when you're inserting God's words into the situation, having faith that God is faithful to his word, now you can expect the mountain to move. It's not just words out of your own head. You're speaking God's word. When you think about the fruit of the Spirit, there's only one piece of that that's offensive weaponry. Right? You've got the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, all the different pieces of the armor. The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. As Christians, that's how we fight. You may remember that passage. It says, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It means they're not worldly, but they're mighty to pulling down strongholds. What that's talking about is you win the battle in the spiritual before you see it won in the natural. Because the things that happen to us in the natural are just a manifestation of what's going on in the spirit anyway. Right? And I think that's sometimes where we miss it because we look at the problem right in front of us and we don't stop to think that we've got an enemy out there who wants to attack. And all his job is is to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you're having any issues in your life, it's going to fall into one of those three categories and none of those are from God. So it's never God's will that you have something horrible happen. It's God's will that you use his word, which is his will, to do what he told you to do to get out of it. And through that process, we grow. Now, it may take time. You know, there are some prayers that even once we started seeing what we needed to do with debt, it wasn't like somebody handed me a check for multiple thousands of dollars the next day and I went and paid things off. It was a slow process. You know, our faith, sometimes it grows. It's a slow process, but it has to grow. And we have to keep letting that go, and we have to have that faith rise up in us so that we can do the things God told us to do. So that's the first restricted area is unbelief. Now the second one we have to look at is unforgiveness. Mark eleven twenty three through 25. I told you this one was in the pass out this morning and here we're going to see it. It says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, right, be taken up and thrown into the sea. So we see the same thing repeated. That means it's important we should pay attention to it. Does not doubt in his heart, believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it, and it will be yours. So far, so good. We're right on target with the other one. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And that's very important, that concept of forgiveness. Because when we hold on to that unforgiveness in our heart, what we're doing is we're breaking fellowship with God. So there may be times when I've prayed, and I've gone back and I've looked and I've said, God, I feel like I'm doing everything you're telling me to do here. I'm applying your word, I'm speaking to my mountain, I'm totally having faith, believing it, expecting it. I'm not going to be surprised if it showed up right this minute because I believe I already have it. But I don't really seem like I'm getting somewhere. I feel like there's an unpeacefulness in my spirit that I'm missing it somewhere. And maybe it's that I was still upset about something. 
Maybe somebody had said something that had hurt my feelings, made me mad. Maybe somebody did something to me that was wrong. Whatever it might be. But maybe you're holding on to that unforgiveness in some way. That breaks the fellowship. Because you can't walk in unforgiveness and still be walking in love. And we have to walk in love in order to be fulfilling what God's Word says to do. Those three have to work in harmony, faith, hope, and love. That's why they're mentioned the way they're mentioned. You have to have all three working in harmony in order for us to be effective for God. Galatians 5, 6 tells us, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith doing what? Working through love. So you can't say that I'm walking by faith if you're not also walking in love. So if we've got unforgiveness in our heart, no matter how much we think we're having faith, we're really not. And it may be why we've stalled out and why it seems like I'm not really making any headway here, God. Matthew chapter 5, let's look at 22 through 24. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. I've heard some people say, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. And from the situations that I have heard that said in the natural, it makes perfect sense. I totally get it. The problem is, as Christians, we're called first and foremost to walk according to God's Word. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect and doesn't mean we get it right all the time. But we're supposed to get away from spiritual milk and start moving into spiritual meat. We dig deeper, we walk further and grow in God's Word. Hebrews 8.12 tells us, says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and what? And I will remember their sins no more. So what God has done for us is when we come to Him and say, God, I've messed up, I've sinned against you, I've broken this fellowship, I'm sorry. When we confess that, it says, what? He's faithful to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's merciful towards our iniquities, and then He remembers our sins no more. So when you confess your sins before God, you stand before Him clean and, and righteous again, like you had never sinned at all, like it never happened. And if that's the example we're supposed to then walk by, if we say, I'll forgive that person, but I'm never going to forget what they did, we can't really say that we're now walking in love towards that person. There's still a little bit of unforgiveness that we're hanging on to. There's a little bit of bitterness in there that we haven't let go of. And again, I'm not, not trying to pass judgment. This is not me saying if you're doing that, it's horrible, because there, there are some situations that come up in life that are very difficult very difficult and may take a very long time to get past this. So I'm not making light of it. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. But with God's grace and with God's love and His strength, He'll see you through it. Whatever it may be, He'll get you there on the other side. And then that's a great healing time is when you can finally say, I can finally let go of this. It's not that you forget it happened, and it's not that you put yourself back in a bad situation like it never happened. It's not denial. 
but you don't let it have control over your heart anymore to the point to where you can't get past that. Because until you can get past that, that's going to continue to be a stumbling block. And sometimes, you know, I'll be honest, God is the only one who can really get us through certain situations like that. They're difficult. And, you know, maybe it's, it's Christian counseling might be a way of, of getting help or maybe whatever the situation may be. But at the heart of all of that, it's going to be God's word and it's going to be God's mercy that carries us through. You remember in Matthew chapter 18, I'm not going to take time to read the whole thing, but this is talking about the parable of the talents, and, and he's talking about, well, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? Unto 70 times seven, right? And then he goes on to talk about the parable of the talents. But then it says in verses 34 and 35, it says, And in his anger his master delivered him to the jailers. Because you remember the guy got forgiven by his master, then he went out to the guy that owed him a little bit of money, and he said, hey, pay me what you owe me. Give it to me. So he didn't demonstrate his master's forgiveness to the person that owed him. He went out and treated him from a very worldly standpoint. And it says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. He will deliver him to his jailer until he pays all his debt. I really don't want God doing that to me. You know, that, that sounds kind of scary to me. So unforgiveness, that's another restricted area where we need to try and stay away from. But we have to remember that forgiveness has to first be motivated from love. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world. Why? So that we might live through Him. And that, ver that idea of live, that means everything that we do as part of our life is supposed to be through Christ. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. It means He paid it, He covered everything. And beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And then it goes on to talk about how, you know, we know that we abide in Him because He's given us His Spirit. We testify about this love. Right, let's see, time's running a little short, so I'm going to skip down a little bit here. If anyone says, I love God, this is in verse 20, and hates his brother, he's a liar. You know, sometimes Scripture kind of beats around the bush with things and kind of gives you some poetic ways of looking at it, and sometimes it just smacks you across the face. If you say you love God, but you're harboring unforgiveness or you're mad at your brother and not letting that go, God just flat out says, you're a liar. You don't love me. Ouch. And I've had God call me on this one before. You know, sometimes you get people, they do something wrong to you, and every time you think about it, you get boiled and mad, and you, the injustice of it, you just don't like it. And he's pulled me and called me on the carpet with this one. He said, hey, uh-uh, don't tell me you love me. Not till you get rid of this. Yes, sir. You know, and then now you're down repenting and getting it right. And praise God, it, it is right. I can think about some of these situations now that happened in the past. I can think about the person. And instead of being mad for what they did, I actually pray for them. And that's not bragging on myself. But again, that's God's mercy of how God can get you through that on the other side. 
So you can't love someone and walk in unforgiveness or anger towards them. The third one, and this is the final, we'll kind of wrap up with this, unconfessed sin. John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John 8, And again Jesus spoke to him saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And then Ephesians 5.8 shows us, For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. But why is this important? this concept of light and darkness and, and sin, things of that nature. Well, I mean, obviously we know we need to confess our sin, right, before, to be right before God. But look what happens. Isaiah 59, 2 says this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. So one of the things that I have asked myself before is, okay, God, if I'm in a situation where I'm praying and I'm waiting on something, and it seems like I'm not quite getting the answers. This is one of the steps I go through. I'm like, God, is there something that I'm doing that I need to change? And it may be something maybe you don't realize you're doing it. Because again, you know, we're, we're, we're children, we grow up in God's love and His mercy. Maybe it's something we've never thought about as, as being bad before. I don't know. Whatever it is, but He'll show us what He wants us to do but sometimes we have to get still and we have to ask, right? Sometimes we feel it laid on our heart, but sometimes he wants us to come and ask. I know as a father, sometimes I kind of like it when my kids come up and ask me something. And they're like, hey, Dad, would, would you do this for me? Or, Dad, can you show me this? Because it's nice, because they're coming to me not only out of love and respect, but knowing that I've got the answer. Hey, Dad can help you with this. Dad can fix this. And that's a great feeling. Now, it's a nervous thing on my part. Sometimes if they ask me something, I have no idea what to do about it. But so far, God's been faithful, and, you know, their questions, I've pretty much been able to help them out. But we need to make sure that we're, we're just checking God and saying, hey, I just want to make sure there's nothing I'm missing here, God. Is there anything I'm harboring, anything I need to, to maybe change about what I'm doing? Because I want to make sure I'm walking right with you that I can expect to receive this because I'm doing it the way you want it done. And then when we find that area, whatever it is, go back to what 1 John 1, 9 tells us. We confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He keeps us on that straight and narrow path, right? But we have to be open to understanding what God wants from us. So it's never a bad idea just to check ourselves from time to time as you're in your quiet time. You know, one thing I'll do is sometimes I'll just sit down and I'll say, God, what would you like me to see out of your word today? What's something that I need to, to see and understand? And every single time I've ever prayed that, a chapter and a verse gets laid on my heart. It's never one I could tell you off the top of my head what it says. And I turn to it, and it's exactly what I needed. It's not the way I do it all the time, but sometimes when I don't have a particular topic that I really feel passionate about studying, or I don't feel like God's saying, I want you to delve into this topic, I'll just ask him and say, God, there's a whole book here of stuff I don't know. What's something cool you want to show me today? And he'll pull it out and show it to me. And sometimes, in the process of doing that, he showed me where, hey, you know, and if you do this, this will kind of fix this area over here because you've been getting a little off track with this. Oh, okay. And he kind of steers us back into that right path, right? I kind of think of it as like driver's ed. And my driver's ed class was fun in high school. 
because I had this kid that I, I tell you, uh, I got prayed up every time we got in the car. Because <laughs> he, he was a hot mess. It, uh, we, we, I remember me and a good friend of mine, it was one of the coaches at my high school, and me and my buddy were in there with this other kid in the class. I was friends with all of them. But the first thing he did is he got in and he adjusted the mirror, spent 10 minutes doing it. And we're kind of in the back seat and we're nervous. And the coach is like, okay, do you, do you have it ready? And he's like, yeah, I can see myself perfectly now, coach. Well, me and my buddy opened the back doors. We got out of the car. <laughs> coach is yelling at us to get back in. We're like, coach, no, no, this, no, coach. We don't need to get in the car. Like, all right, so we get in the car. And we're on this big concrete pad and we start driving. And we're coming up and you've got to make this turn to stay on the pad. And there's this, it was out in the middle of this big grassy field where we had this thing. Well, he drives and as he's coming up on the turn, he, he takes his, he's got this death grip on the wheel anyway, right? And he just does this deal. <laughs> and of course, the car only turns a little bit. Now we're four-wheeling off in the grass. Coach is slamming on the brakes on his side. As soon as the car stops, me and buddy are bolting out the back again. Then coach is yelling at us to get back in the car. We're like, no, coach, we're not getting in the car with this guy. <laughs> he was all over the place, right? But is that so different, really, from how our walk is with God sometimes? You know, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But sometimes when we're on that path, we're all over the place. You know? But it's part of that growth process that we go through. You know, when you first get behind the wheels as a, a young person, you know, maybe you're not the best driver. Maybe you make some mistakes. But the more that you do it, the better you get at it. Hopefully. <laughs> the, the, the thought process is that you get better at it the more you do it. Not saying that's always the case, but for argument's sake, we'll say that's what happens. And it's the same way with our Christian walk. The more time you spend practicing what God's Word says, the better you're going to get at it. The more that relationship is going to come together and the more we're going to grow. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your Word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Because we want to maintain that fellowship. Because we know that when we have that fellowship with God, when we have faith, hope, and love, all three working together, look at all the things we've talked about already this morning that God shows us in His Word that He'll do for us. Right? Speak to your mountain. Right? But if we don't keep that Word in our heart, if we don't know what's in our contract, we don't even know we have the right to ask for it. And we don't have to come and ask for it, you know, timidly, right? Why did the person get it? He didn't get it because he was his friend. He got it because he went up boldly and said, look, right here. And again, it's not an arrogance. We have to remember that, that God is who he is and we need to treat him as such. He is sovereign. He is our Lord. But there's also nothing wrong with the idea of coming to him. I've got a couple of minutes, so I'll close with this last example. In the story of the prodigal son... This is one that's probably familiar to everybody here. You got two brothers. You got the older brother who did everything he's supposed to do at home. You got the younger brother who comes up to dad and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Now that already goes along with what we looked at this morning. How did he come up to him? He went up to his father boldly. He says, I don't want to wait until you tell me it's time. I don't want to wait. I want it right now. And what did the dad do? He said, okay, here you go hands him a check, or whatever they used back then, you know, donkeys loaded up with stuff, I don't know, but he gave him his inheritance. So he had all this money, he had all this gems, had all this stuff, right? And what did he do? He set out, and then basically he messed up every way possible with what he could do with his life. 
He's doing everything wrong that he shouldn't have done to the point to where he finds himself broke in a foreign country eating out of a pig trough. And then it finally dawns on him, you know, I'm going to go back to my dad because even his servants have got it better than this. I mean, I'm his own kid, but I'll go back and ask if I can just work for him as a servant. And that's huge. He's saying, I'm going to take myself out of the picture as part of the family because I don't even deserve to be part of the family anymore. I've messed this up so bad. But he comes back, and what does dad do? His dad doesn't just wait for him to get back to the place and go through this whole protestation of saying, God, I'm so sorry, I don't know what I was thinking. It says his dad went running down to meet him as soon as he started coming over the hill, right? God does us the same way. When we mess up, he's not waiting for us to go through this whole thing of, of repentance to the point to where we have to beat ourselves up and it's going to take forever to get right with him again. We come up saying, you know, God, I'm sorry. He's already running to meet us. He's there. <laughs> Wherever we're at, he's already there. But the thing that's really important and one that kind of gets overlooked, as amazing as that is, we look at it and we say, well, that person messed up. That's God's mercy and grace. He brought him back. Take just a moment, though, and think about the older brother. Because the older brother, I'm sure he was happy that his younger brother was back, but remember what Dad did. Dad, bring in the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party. Junior's back. This is great. And the older brother says, you know, now wait a minute. I've been here doing everything right all this time. And you never told me I could have a party. You never gave me any rings. You never gave me any clothes. You never let me go have a party with my friends with the stuff. What gives? I've been here doing all this stuff right. And look at what the father says. He says, son, you're always with me. If you wanted it, you could have had this at any time. And I love that because sometimes I think, you know, maybe I've not been the kid that went way down the wrong road and done all these terrible things. Maybe I'm, I'm kind of right where I need to be and I'm working. But maybe I'm going through some of the issues that I'm dealing with because I'm not speaking to my mountain. Maybe I'm not asking with boldness and saying, God, this is in the contract. This is what you promised me. Maybe I'm kind of sitting back waiting, saying, well, this horrible situation must be God's will. I'm just going to wait for him to get me out of it. Because we can pray and believe and say, well, you know, I know God's got it. I know God's going to do it. But maybe God's already done it. And now he's waiting on us to do our part and do what he told us to do. Because we can have faith in God that he's able because we know he's able. We don't have to sit there and wonder about, is God able to do it? Of course he is. And we don't even have to ask if it's his will if we've already seen it in his word. But if we don't do our part about it, if we don't have faith and say, okay, God, this is what you said. I'm asking for this. I'm trusting in this. I'm believing I receive this right now. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm not questioning this. I'm not waiting on it to happen 20 years down the road. It may be 20 years down the road. That's fine. But I'm going to believe starting right now today that it's mine, that it's done. Because now we've inserted faith into that. Because you're a God who loves me. I don't want to be that kid who sits there and says, God, why didn't you ever give me nothing? And he says, well, you were right here with me all the time. If you wanted it, why didn't you ask for it? And sometimes maybe we do that. So just a final thought. Restricted areas, right? Areas to stay out of. The one area we need to make sure we do stay in, though, is God's Word. Because any problem we come up with, anything we don't understand, anything we need, we're going to find it right in here. 
Let's go ahead and close in prayer. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, we want to thank you for your faithfulness. Because, Father, you are faithful above all else. When we mess up and we're not faithful, you're still faithful, God. There is never a time where you are not faithful towards us. And God, there's a lot of things in your word that we may not understand. There's a lot of things that we may not quite have our heads wrapped around yet. But Lord, we pray that you would reveal your word to us. Help us to grow in that grace, God. You tell us in your word to don't be unwise, but be wise to know and understand what God's will is, his perfect and pleasing will. I believe that means we can know your will in every situation, God. And I believe that your will is your word. My prayer today, God, is that for each of us that we would leave here today with a deeper hunger for your word, for the truth of it, God, with a desire to dig in. Not just to take the word of, of somebody who's standing up here saying it, not my word, not, not Pastor Jeff's word, God, but that we would also know it for ourselves. Because we can say, yeah, I've seen that in your word. I've spent time. I've gone in and seen this for myself. Because, God, you want that relationship with each of us. And out of all the things that happen in our, our life, God, time spent with you is always going to be the best time we could possibly ever have. So, Father, I pray that we would keep that a priority in our lives, that you would continue to grow us, reveal to us the truth of your word, Lord, and help us to speak that in our situations, God, to our mountains, the way you would have us to do. We praise you, God, for the fact that you are faithful, that you do see us through, God. We love you very much, and we thank you for this day, for this time, and just pray that you would continue to watch over us and bless us throughout our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.